You're listening to East Bay Yesterday. This show is about history, but it's not stuck in the past. Let's begin. Let's begin. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another East Bay Yesterday. I'm your host, Liam O'Donoghue. I've been doing this show for a few years now, and one of the questions I get asked fairly often is about where people can find more about Oakland's Latino history. And there's not really a single resource that provides a great overview. It's a huge topic, of course. Um, There could be a whole series of books or documentaries about just the early Mexican communities in the East Bay, for example. So that's why I wanted to talk with Jose Rivera, an independent historian who runs a project called Oakland Latinos Unidos. Right now, it's an Instagram page, a Facebook group, and a YouTube channel where Jose shares all kinds of images and stories about Latino, primarily Chicano, history. Jose is hoping to turn all his notes into a book someday. And speaking of notes, we did this interview at a picnic table in Oakland San Antonio Park, not far from where Jose grew up. And he came prepared with rare out-of-print books and photos and stacks and stacks of folders full of newspaper clippings and all kinds of information because our plan was to cover a lot of territory. We start by talking about the Dianza expedition, which happened long before California was even part of the United States, and go all the way up through the gang wars that Jose lived through as a young man. In between, we touch on everything from braceros to zoot suits, and yeah, it would be impossible to capture everything, but we tried to hit on some of the pivotal moments in the history of Mexicans and Mexican-Americans in Oakland to give you guys a kind of crash course. That being said, there's so much we don't cover, so I would encourage anyone who's interested to do your own research, and if you find something interesting, the Oakland Wiki always has room for more stories, and anyone can contribute. Okay, thanks again for listening to East Bay Yesterday. Here's my interview with Jose Rivera of Oakland Latinos Unidos. Can you introduce yourself and maybe talk a little bit about the project that you started? Okay, so my name is Jose Rivera. I'm originally from Oakland, born and raised in Oakland. I grew up uh, in the Fruit Valley area around East 7th Street, which is, which is down there by Jingletown. I lived around Oakland as well. I lived on 82nd Avenue before. I lived on 35th Ave. I've also moved around the Bay Area. I've lived in Vallejo. I've lived in Sacramento, and I've lived in, I live in Richmond currently. And um, I started this project called Oakland Latinos United in 2003. The reason I started it was because I felt that there was almost nothing written about the Latino or Raza or Chicano community in Oakland. Even though we are a very old community here and we've been here going back to the time before this California was even made, was even part of the United States when it was part of Mexico. And I felt that our story had to be told. Every time I would read Oakland history book, it was always the black and white narrative. And that's always a narrative in the United States period. You might get a little bit about the Native Americans. You might even get a little bit about the, uh, the Asians. But basically, it was a black and white narrative. And to be fair, I understand the black narrative of Oakland because Oakland does have a, a strong history with the African-American community. It's the birthplace of the Black Panthers. 
a lot of artists and sports figures and even politicians that are African-American have come out of Oakland and have made big moves in Oakland. So I don't take anything away from that, but I feel it's fair that the history of, of, of Latinos, of Chicanos, of Raza in Oakland, it's important to tell that story because California was once part of Mexico. Can we talk about the terminology a little bit before we get into history? Because you're saying Latino, Raza, Chicano. Can you yeah. break it down what you mean by that? For many years, the dominant culture in California were Mexicans. Yes, there were small pockets of other Latinos, like Puerto Ricans were in Oakland, which is something we could talk about. But the Mexicans were the dominant in, in, in California. Oh, so you mean like among quote-unquote Hispanic Yes, people. exactly, yeah. uh -huh, exactly. Uh -huh. That's what I mean. Yeah. So for many years in, in California, it was either you were Mexican, Mexican-American, and in the 60s, the terminology Chicano came up because the word Chicano originated from the word Mexica or Mexicano or Chicano, which is the original name of the Aztecs or the Nahuatl people. So that term had be Chicano had become a term in Mexico and in, even in the United States to mean dirty or indigenous. So what they did in the 60s, they reclaimed that as, as, an, as an identity of pride. And they said, we're Chicanos. It's basically Chicano was a, a, a Mexican-American who refused to identify with the colonizer or with the, uh, you know, assimilation because the old generation had been more about we're Americans, you know, we have to assimilate to white culture. That was, that was the mentality. And then that, that changed in the 60s. So now we go to raza. Raza means race. In the 1920s, a writer named Jose Vasconcelos wrote uh, a piece called La Raza Cosmica, which meant the cosmic race. And what he meant that Mexicans were a cosmic race because we were almost every race of, in the Americas. We were indigenous, we were Spanish or European, and we were African as well. So he said that w that created this cosmic race. So that term raza was taken from that. And in the 60s, it was used as the people. Instead of it being the race, even though that's what it literally means, it really means the people. So when we say la raza or raza, it means our people. Yeah. And Latino, finally, Latino is a term that came more in the 70s and 80s by the U.S. government to classify people of, of you know, Hispanic or whatever you want to call it. Hispanic and Latino were the terms because obviously by then it was growing. You had the wars in Central America. Uh, a lot of people from El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala were coming to the, to the United States, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, and what, whatnot, Colombians, Peruvians. So the terminology, a lot of people didn't really associate with Chicano anymore. So the term Latino became more prominent. And I use the, the term, a lot of people have got on me. They say, why do you call it Oakland Latinos United? You know, why don't you call it Oakland Chicano? That's because even though I self-identify as Chicano, I'm actually half Salvadorian and Mexican, and I felt that I wanted to appeal to the broad raza community of Oakland, not just the Chicano-Mexican community, all of us here as, as one group. So a second ago, you talked about how before California was part of the United States, it was part of Mexico. Can you give me a quick overview of that history? Before the gold rush, before statehood, how did California come to be part of Mexico, and, and what was this region, the East Bay's relationship with the kind of center of Mexican politics and culture back then? So to go back to that, we have to go back to the Ohlone's, because this was their land. This is occupied Chochenio Ohlone land, or occupied Huchin. The Spanish government, which at that time Mexico was called New Spain, sent an expedition to the Bay Area to colonize it, and they called it 
the Anza expedition. And the, what people don't know is that the, the Anza expedition was actually a mixed expedition. It was a lot of mestizos who are the quote-unquote modern-day Mexicans. It was even some Afro-Mexicanos, some indigenous. Uh, so they came this way, and that's where the colonization of the, um, of the Bay Area started. It actually started in San Jose and in Fremont with the mission of San Jose and the, the Pueblito of San Jose. And then and they came to San Francisco, which was called Yerba Buena. Basically what happened was they built all these presidios, these military garrisons, and also these uh, missions around the Bay Area. And they, you know, they brought the, the people that today we call the modern day Mexicanos or Mexicans to, to the Bay Area. Those, those are the people that were coming. Unfortunately, the Ohlone's, a lot of them were enslaved in the missions. They were forced to, to do the work uh, that the, the Spaniards or the Mexicans didn't want to do. Uh, we had people like Junipero Serra and various others who were notorious at that time. So basically what happened was some of the some of the Ohlone population was decimated by that, but a lot of it survived. A lot of it survived. And they eventually assimilated to the to the Mexicano or California culture. So what happened was And that was kind of a a way of self-defense, right? Because exactly. when, when Native American people were basically being hunted down yeah, and criminalized, exactly. they took Spanish last names in order exactly. to basically assimilate or hide <clears throat> within the Mexican culture so they wouldn't be executed or exactly. enslaved. Exactly, that's exactly what happened. And um, a lot of Mexicanos, we are indigenous people. As a matter of fact, I've seen old pictures of the Yelonis and they remind me of Mayas. They look just like the Mayas from Guatemala or, or Yucatan to me. I swear to God, they look just like them. So I, you can see how easily it was to assimilate to Mexican culture. The first cowboys in the Bay Area were actually Ohlone's. They learned it from the Spaniards and the Mexicans, and they became the ranch hands and all the, the ranchos around here. So that's where we go next, to the ranchos. In, in 1820, when the, the Mexican war for independence was, was ended, you know, the treaty, the treaty that... That was when Mexico broke off from Spain. Yes, yes, from Spain. What happened was they took over everything. You know, the new Mexican government took over everything, including California. And the, the, the people who had manned those missions and manned the presidios and manned the pueblitos like San Jose, Sonoma, and, um, and Monterrey, Monterrey, they were given lands for their, for their services. So they were given these big land grants. And one family who was very prominent in San Jose called the Peralta family were given a land grant in Oakland. And that land grant was called Rancho San Antonio, which is the reason why this park is called San Antonio Park and the reason why this district is called San Antonio District. Oh yeah, I didn't even mention yet that we're sitting, for people who are listening to the podcast right now, we're doing this at a picnic table in San Antonio Park overlooking downtown Oakland off in the distance. And uh, it's a beautiful day here yes. underneath the Redwoods. So. The Peraltas were given basically the whole city of Oakland and even parts of Berkeley. I think it went all the way up to like Albany almost, I right? So. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And it went all the way even up, up to like parts of San Leandro. Mm -hmm. So the Peraltas were given different little ranchos around the Bay Area, around Oakland, I'm sorry. And um, the main one was the one that's over there on, uh, on 34th, which is today the Peralta house. That's where mm -hmm. the original Peralta Adobe was. And a lot of these ranchos, like I said, a lot of the Ohlone's were the cowboys of these ranchos. They were the ones who were doing the cattle work and cooking the food and doing that stuff. So 
this new culture was created from that. It was called the Californian culture. Those were the, the Mexican Californians. And we could even say that the Ohlone's were part of that culture. You know, and, and another thing, a lot of indigenous people were Californians. There were a few landowners who were um, indigenous people in California that it's not talked about much, but that's another story for another day because that doesn't involve this region. We're talking about Oakland specifically. So what changed was when the, you know, the, the, the war or the aggression against Mexico in 1846, I believe. Yeah, so this is the Mexican-American yeah, Mexican War. Mexican-American War. Now, the Californians were split. Some Californians wanted to be part of the U.S. because they felt that Mexico neglected California. And some Californians didn't. And there was actually some resistance to it when, when the invasion happened. Obviously, we all know the Bear Flag Revolt in, uh, in, in, um, in Sonoma started the, the, whole, the whole war in California, at least. And uh, that spread all over. And, and, and after, basically, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo was signed with Mexico, they ended the war. You know, Mexico lost California, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, parts of Colorado, and parts of Utah and Nevada. And that was back when this was called Alta California, Alta right? Because we still got Baja California oh, yeah. that's part of Mexico. Yeah, so one thing that we never think about, because we have a border mentality, we have a colonial mentality in this country. The border is a sign of colonialism. Baja California is California. <laughs> Californians went from here all the way to Baja California. So if you were from there all the way here, you were a Californian. That's just basically, no one thinks about that these days, but that's just how it was. After the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo is signed in uh, 1848, there's the gold rush. California becomes a state the next year. Once California becomes part of the United States, what happens to all the people who were, you know, the Californios, the Mexicans that were living here once California becomes part of the U.S.? So, far as I know, the Californios lost most of their land from squatters. Even though the treaty said that they could keep a lot of their land, very few kept their lands or they kept very little of it. Or they ended up getting lawyers and it cost so much that they eventually had to just sell off their lands anyway. Yeah, I so, know that's what happened with the Peralta family. Yeah, exactly. So that, that kind of what happened... And then the more poor Mexicans who were here, who were in the in California period, especially a lot of Ohlone's who are now identifying as Mexicans as a form of survival, and not just the Ohlone's, a lot of Native Americans period in California, they got the, 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 the brunt of, of the racism and of the backlash, you know, because people were being lynched, people were being attacked, people's houses and properties were being burned. So let's fast forward a little bit. I know that one of the earlier big waves of Mexican immigration into California after it became a state was during the Mexican Revolution. When was that? And like, can you talk about that a little bit? So like, the, why did people come here during that era? So the Mexican, Mexican Revolution was a huge war in Mexico that, you know, a lot of people know about, but I think a lot of people don't understand the extent of how for one, disorganized and just crazy that situation was because it got to a point where they didn't know who was in charge. There were so many warlords that it was like, who's in charge? So what happened was Mexico had a dictator for about 30, 40 years named Porfirio Diaz. Porfirio Diaz controlled Mexico with an iron hand. They say Porfirio Diaz was good and bad. They said he was good because he industrialized Mexico and made it a modern country, but they said he was bad because he did it at the backs of poor people. He created the Hacienda system, 
which is what created uh, the mestizos and indigenous people to become enslaved damn near. Yeah, they, they were basically, they belonged to these landowners and they can only work for these landowners. And it's like whole areas of Mexico were controlled by one landowner. And then there was also a, a very brutal police force made up of criminals called Los Rurales, the rurals. And they would go around lynching people, killing people. Anyone who spoke against the government likes out. So what happened was, around 1909, a guy named Francisco Madero challenged Porfirio Diaz. Madero ran against Porfirio Diaz and he won. But there was a coup. So Madero came to El Paso, Texas. He ran away from Mexico. He formed, he, he formed an army and, and one of those that included in that army was Pancho Villa, Francisco Villa, whose real name was Doroteo Arango and they raided Mexico. And that's where the Mexican revolutionaries started. And in the South, you had Emiliano Zapata who was fighting against the, uh, he wasn't so much for Madero, but he was fighting against the landowners for the indigenous people in the state of Morelos. So this became a huge war and it lasted from 1910 till 1920. That war killed millions. And that's what drove a lot of the refugees out of Mexico exactly. into California, right? Especially those who were, who were closer to the border in the North in those days, people don't realize there actually wasn't really much of a border in Mexico. It was just a line across the dirt. So you could get into the U.S. very easily at that time. So a lot of people just said, screw this, we're going up north. So people came to Texas, people came to New Mexico, people came to Arizona, people came to the state of California. Los Angeles was the biggest hub of where many came. And they came to Oakland. I want to ask you about Oakland's first Mexican neighborhood. But before we get to that, can you talk a little bit about why this time span between the gold rush and the early 20th century, why there's not much known about it? Well, I mean, that is true. There's not much known about what happened to the Californios in Oakland, especially, or the Bay Area. I know that I've read little things that what did happen was a lot of the Californios kids married white people and they kind of assimilated into white culture. So that could be one thing that happened. There was an erasure. So. There's not much known about whatever the Mexican or Latino community was in Oakland between the end of the, the Mexican-American War to the Mexican Revolutionary Era. But there is some documentation of the Mexican Revolutionary Era up till now. Thank, thankfully, there is a little bit of documentation that I have found. And uh, that's where we get into the story about the first barrio or the first Mexican neighborhood. Let's in talk about it. What'd you find? So, I, like I said, I started this journey a long time ago because there was nothing, nothing ever written in Oakland history books about Oakland, about Latinos. And I knew our community existed here because I grew up here in the Fruitvale area. And I mean, I was surrounded by a bunch of Latinos and Mexicans. And I remember people telling me, oh, I've been here for many years. And I was like, so we must have a history. So it was kind of like this mystery of why there's not a, nothing about us. Even the Chicano history books never talk about Oakland or the Bay Area. They talk about just LA or Texas or New Mexico, Arizona, like those states, but they don't talk about the Bay Area. It's almost like it didn't even exist. So I began to research, I began to ask questions. I would meet older people randomly in Oakland, old Chicanos, old Mexicanos. And they would always be like, I would be like, oh, you're from Oakland? Oh yeah, born and raised. And I'm like, where at? They're like, I'm from West Oakland. I'm West Oakland. And I was like, I don't remember no Mexicans in West Oakland. And then something began to come into play. When I was a kid on 7th Street by the police station, by 7th and Broadway, 7th and Clay, that area right there, 
I remember there used to be a lot of Mexican businesses. This is back in the 80s and early 90s. There used to be Mi Rancho. There used to be La Borinqueña. There used to be La Mexicana. There used to be a, 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 a pharmacy owned by a guy named Don Luisito. Um, there was a few Mexican businesses. And I used to always be like, why are there Mexican businesses in downtown Oakland and in the, by the police station? That don't make sense. So something dawned on me like, oh, this must have been the old Mexican neighborhood at one point. It just dawned on me. And then I started thinking back, like, all those Mexicans that used to tell me they were from West Oakland. Now that makes sense. So I, I, one day I went to the, to the Oakland Public Library, and um, I talked to the guy who ran the Oakland History Room at the time. His name was Steve Lavoie. I don't know if you know him. Mm -hmm. But um, he guided me in the right direction. I told him, hey, bro, I want to do a project about Mexican history of Oakland or Latino history, and I, I want to know what are the roots? And he told me, you know what? A lot of it started in West Oakland. He's like, I'll find you some stuff. And he found me some stuff. And luckily they had a Chicano history files thing there too. So I, I just began digging. And I was like, wow. I said, cause I'd always been told that West Oakland was the heart of the black community. That mm -hmm. it was like um, the Harlem of the West. That's right. all I knew about West Oakland. So I figured that was the old black hood. Right. I had no idea that there was a Mexican neighborhood. And the Mexican neighborhood was kind of in between downtown and, and like the the, yeah. the part that has a higher african-american concentration which is kind of over by like west uh oakland bart now so we're talking kind yeah. of like the center section of west oakland or so, like yeah so what i've been told the old mexican community was actually between seventh and what's that washington i think so, all yeah. the way to about seventh and market and it went down all the way to to, to jacqueline and square and it was a whole neighborhood in that whole area back in those days. And it was a lot of Mexicans that used to live there. And the, the Mexicans that came during the Mexican Revolution are the first ones that came to that neighborhood. Now, there's a lady in this book, uh, this book, of Life Stories, Voices of the East Bay Community. Actually, that's her right there. Her name was Dominguita Velasquez. And she was one of the refugees of the Mexican Revolution. Her story is in this book. Now, she says when she came to West Oakland, she says there were hardly any Mexicans in Oakland. But as time progressed, the community started growing. And she was one of the first to start uh, Mexican Ballet Folklorico, which is the traditional Mexican dancing in Oakland, was this woman right here. Sweet's Ballroom was a very famous ballroom at the time. And, and um, what happened was that uh, they had certain nights for certain races. So mo most of the times it was for white people. I believe Fridays was for black people. Saturdays I think was reserved for white people and Sundays was for Mexicans. So the guy who started the Mexican dances at Sweet's Ballroom, his name was Guadalupe Carlos. And he was related, I believe, to the people from La Borinquena. Mm -hmm. But he was a shipyard worker. He worked at, the, I think, the Todd Shipyard. and. Um, he would, he would, he somehow between his shipyard work, he would promote these big dances at Sweet's Ballroom and he would bring big names there at the time, like Jorge Negrete, Pedro Infante, Perez Crado, Cantinflas, uh, Maria Victoria, a lot of big names came to Oakland. And what, what genres of music is that? A mixture. At that time, you got to remember, this was the time of the golden age of Mexican movies, so at that time, a lot of the, the mariachi music was really big, uh, the ranchera, the mariachi, and then also the Cuban mambo was very big, and cha-cha-cha was big at that time. So a lot of the groups that played both of those styles 
were what was prominent in the Latino community at that time. So this is like before like salsa and merengue started oh, yeah. getting bigger. Well, merengue has been around forever, but uh -huh. but that's before those rhythms were known here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to back up for a second because a minute ago you mentioned Guadalupe Carlos who worked in the shipyards. I know that World War II was another era of a lot of migration into the East Bay. So can you illustrate that a little bit for us? Kind of what did that look like back then? So just like the African-American and uh, white migration from the South to uh, the Bay Area, there was also a Chicano, Latino, Mexicano, Mexican migration to Oakland and the Bay Area as well. For one, we got to remember there was a lot of military bases in Oakland and in the Bay Area. So a lot of people came from New Mexico, Texas, Arizona, Colorado. Right. So they came from those states from the Southwest. For the jobs. For the jobs. They came to work in the shipyard. Some of them were in the military. They were going off to war. A lot of times they would go off to war, but their families would come here to work. That created a migration of Mexican-Americans from the Southwest in Oakland. And also you had a, a large migration of Mexicans who were brought as Braceros. So Braceros, most people identify them as, um, and that's mostly what they did as field workers, because most of them were brought to do the field work during the war. But what was not known is there was a part of the Braceros, because the Braceros was a, let's, let's go back, the Braceros was a, a program that was signed by the President Avila Camacho in Mexico with the President, um, uh, Roosevelt here, uh, it was a peace treaty to bring Mexican workers to fill in the job shortages. So they were legal guest workers. So what happened was a lot of them were brought to the fields, but people don't realize that there actually was a part of the Bracero movement that was strictly for the shipyards and for the railroads. Hmm. And my grandfather was one of the ones that came to Oakland to work on the railroad. So they brought a bunch of Braceros to West Oakland. They actually had a camp out on Pine Street by 7th, by the railroad tracks. Mm -hmm. And their job was to basically lay tracks and fix railroad tracks and build new spurs for new factories that were opening up. Because you got to remember, everything was booming at oh, that time. it was an explosion, yeah. yeah. So Mexicans were being used to do that work from Mexico. My grandfather worked here. Unfortunately, my grandfather went back to Mexico sometime after the war. I don't know the reasons why. Unfortunately, he passed away. But I know that he, I remember when I was a kid, I visited him in Mexico and he told me about the key system, about crossing the Bay Bridge when it was brand new. He said, remember, it was like, he said people back then made this big deal about the Bay Bridge. And he just remembers that all that was brand new at that time. Getting back to the Mexican barrio in, in you know West Oakland, what's now kind of considered old Oakland, I know that there was a kind of famous incident um, that we hear more about because um, it happened in other cities throughout California, Los Angeles specifically, but it also happened here and I'm talking about Zoot Suit riots. You know, people uh, I think maybe have like a vague idea of what that was because Zoot Suits kind of came back in fashion for a while like during the 90s so people know like the big yeah. uh, baggy oh, yeah, suits the with like long tails and, and flamboyant colors. I remember that can, swing. Can, yeah, yeah, back, back after that movie Swingers yeah. came out and stuff. So can you talk a little bit about how that fashion came up and what the Zoot Suits riot, what the Zoot Suit riots looked like here in the East Bay? Well before I start that I'm actually wearing a Zoot Suit jacket. <laughs> nice. A throwback retro jacket from yeah. the Zoot Suit era. But um, no, the, the Zoot Suit riots is something that happened. In, it was famous in Los Angeles. And let's be fair, that's where it happened, the big element of it happened. And it was basically a clash between white sailors who were coming to Los Angeles 
uh, to go fight the war, but they were coming with this testosterone, with this, I want to kick the Japs, I want to kick the Germans, you know, I want this, this mentality. They were coming with that, I want to kick ass. And um, they would meet these pachucos, or at least these teenagers who were considered pachucos. And what pachucos was, was basically considered, a pachuco is basically a young hoodlum, it's what the terminology. And the pachucos wore these outlandish suits that had big coats, they had like baggy pants that were tapered at the bottom. They wore shoes with double soles. Supposedly because they could get you on the ground and beat your ass. <laughs> and um, they wore long chains as well. And they wore these really big fedoras called condos. And they would call their shoes calcos. And that, that was a style. And these teenagers, you know, they were machistas. They were young teenagers full of adrenaline too. And this was World War II era. But they didn't appreciate these these white kids coming through their neighborhoods, taunting them, taking their women, trying to like proposition their women for sex and stuff like that. So that created a backlash, and these clashes happened with the with the uh, zoo suiters and the um, and the sailors in Los Angeles, and they created this huge. It's called the zoo suit riots, but it really was a sailors riot because the sailors went around Los Angeles beating up anyone. Yeah. First it was anyone that was a zoo suitor, then it just became anyone who was Mexican. So elements of that hit the, hit the Bay Area, they hit San Francisco, they hit Richmond, and they hit Oakland as well. And um, the first two big, the first three big incidents that happened in Oakland was, the first was two uh, zoo suitors, uh, and I showed you the picture earlier, two zoo suitors, um, Leo Velasquez, Rodriguez Encarnacion, 20 shipyard chipper, and Leo Velasquez, 21 shipyard welder, were arrested for clashing with uh, Zeus, uh, sailors on um, 8th and Washington, which is in Old Oakland, the old barrio. So this isn't surprising to me that there was a confrontation, there was a conflict between white sailors and these pachucos, and who ends up in the paper yeah. getting, you know, basically handcuffed, handcuffed. or, you know, by, by the cops. It's the Latino men, of course, exactly. right? The brown guys. So, like, you know, Pachucos in the Oakland jail, that was the headline to scare the people. Oh, my God, these zoot suitors are in Oakland. They are looking pretty fly, though, I got to yeah, say, in that picture. This is some stylish gear they got on. I know, and, um, you know, that was what they put, you know, the Pachucos in the Oakland jail. Supposedly, after this incident, West Oakland was considered out of bounds to sailors, mm. you know what I mean, to pre prevent any further clashes. So, yeah. that was one incident. This is another incident that happened right here. This happened in 1943. And uh, this actually happened, a gang that used to be down the street. This was an East Oakland gang called the 23rd Ave Gang. Hmm. And when I was growing up, there actually still was a Mexican gang in that neighborhood called East 15th and 23rd. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the descendants of that gang. But um, what happened was this gang went to Alameda and they were a mixed gang made up of Chicanos and, and Portuguese. And so there were already probably a few Chicanos and Raza living in East Oakland at the time. Very small though, but um, they went to Alameda and they got into a fight with a gang called the Okies, huh. which was a white gang probably made up of Oklahoma transplants. So it was this big riot in downtown, in downtown Alameda, and over on Park Street. And the police didn't go after the Okies, of course. They went after the Pachucos. And that's the whole headline, 12 youth held in brawl. So that's another one. So. There's also a book called Six Gold Stars, which, which was written by a guy named Dexter Mask. He used to be an Oakland police officer back in the days. 
And he talked about the war on Pachucos in Oakland. He talked about how it even got to a point where they were allowed to arrest and strip and cut the hair of Pachucos. Yeah. Wow. People over the last couple of years more and more have been talking about the quote unquote war on drugs or the crackdown on use of color as part of this prison industrial complex system that upholds white supremacy. But I mean, this goes so far back. I mean, it really goes to the beginning of America, but like this is just another chapter of it that I think most people, you know, aren't as familiar with, which is right here in Oakland in the 1940s, basically cops are driving around and harassing, arresting, corralling, picking up these groups of young Chicano men and probably beating their asses, like you yeah. said, shaving their heads, throwing them, locking them up. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's just like, to this day, this yeah. is the same thing that people are I still mean, fighting it, against. It goes all the way back to that era. They've criminalized black and brown youth forever. It's nothing new. It's nothing that started yesterday. It's been going on yeah. in Oakland and LA or New York or wherever. It's yeah. been going on for a long time. And unfortunately, it's not just the criminalization of youth in terms of like the way that white power manifests itself. It's also the destruction of entire neighborhoods. Exactly. And speaking of that, can you talk to me a little bit about what happened to the original Oakland Barrio, this, this Mexican neighborhood that used to be where Old Oakland and West Oakland is now? So there's two parts to it. The first is the freeway, the second is the BART. But let's go with the freeway. So in the 50s, people don't realize that in the 50s, cities went, and it was just, this just didn't just happen in Oakland. This was widespread. So at that era, at that time, the Well, this was the era of urban, urban renewal, renewal, right? So exactly. it happened all over the exactly. place. That's you know, it happened in San Francisco. To. And yeah, so, yeah. so I'll let you uh, continue on. So the urban renewal thing was politicians at that time, they didn't appreciate the older neighborhoods. You know, today we appreciate the older neighborhoods. We want to save them. We have all these preservation things. But at that time, they didn't care at all. They were like, these neighborhoods are blighted. They have bed bugs, they have racks, they're infested with, with black and brown people and even poor white people in some cases. Let's just tear them down and build a freeway or build a new city center or build a new city hall. So what happened was West Oakland was one of those neighborhoods that they considered an old blighted neighborhood. Obviously West Oakland is the original neighborhood of Oakland. So they built the 80, you know, progress, right? They built the 80 and it went right through the neighborhood. Then they built the 980 or Highway 24, which went through the neighborhood and they just completely decimated all of West Oakland. I mean, I've talked to people who got eminent domain twice yeah. by that process, and they didn't get fair market value for their property either. You know, the government was basically like, here's your check, take it or leave it. Either way, get the hell out of here. We're going to bulldoze your neighbor. I heard I believe didn't get anything. But, um, yeah, it's basically you were in your house one day, and the next day you were told you got to leave. Here's some money. Good luck. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they tore down the original barrio. And they tore down the original black neighborhood of Oakland. They just completely decimated. They built the Cypress Freeway, the old freeway now come on Gallup Parkway, but in the old day there was Cypress And that freeway. cut West Oakland in half. Exactly, that cut West Oakland into two. Then the park came along, and that was further destruction of West Oakland. So they, they completely just wiped a whole sector of West Oakland gone forever. And that explains how <laughs> just a generation or two later, people even of Mexican descent like you who grew up here in East Oakland and Jingletown and Fruitville area didn't even know that there was a Mexican neighborhood just you know two miles to the west. Exactly I had no idea no clue whatsoever and that's where the the shift goes from West Oakland to East Oakland 
So basically, before before the destruction of West Oakland, there were there were small pockets of Mexicans in East Oakland before, and I think a lot of them used to probably come to the Fruitvale area to these areas. So naturally, a lot of the people they were being pushed out of of East Oakland, I mean West Oakland. The, the Mexican families, I think they already had families living in Jingletown, all around Fruitvale. And also this was during the era of white flight. flight exactly. So a lot of white people who had been living in East Oakland were moving out or to the suburbs at this exactly. time. So this um, this property is becoming available. And also it's, I mean, especially in Jingletown, it's a very industrial neighborhood, right? Exactly. So it's closer to these kind of blue collar jobs. Exactly. So, you know, we know that Jingletown was the Portuguese neighborhood. There was also a lot of Germans and Irish in, 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 in Fruitvale area back in the days. Those communities started getting old, they started dying off, or they just simply moved away. And the Mexican and the black community started moving into the Fruitvale area. I think blacks dominated more in Upper East Oakland. That's where the, the bigger migration was in, 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 in East Oakland, was the upper part of East Oakland. But when you say were, upper, do you mean like sort of like the quote-unquote deep, deep east? east? Yeah, yeah, like 98th uh -huh. Ave, Brookfield, yeah. uh -huh. uh, Sagrani Park. All those areas were yeah. became the dominant black areas. And I think the Fruitvale and San Antonio area became more the dominant Latino and Asian area. So tell me about that process, like the, the growth of these barrios over here. So all these people that had been in West Oakland got displaced over here to the Fruitvale area. And what started happening was when the white flight started happening, what Fruitvale became undesirable. It became, started becoming the ghetto, the hood. And obviously when a neighborhood comes becomes the hood, it brings its problems. And that's where the drugs, police brutality come come along and that's where the 60s come along We just took a little break here because you have got just this pile of newspaper clippings and files in front of you trying to get it all organized. Uh, we're starting to get into the 1960s. I mean, just massive topic. So much change happening in that decade. The rise of the Chicano power movement, the growth of the Fruitvale. Where do you want to start? So we have to remember there was a, a rise in immigration from Mexico in the, in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And naturally when they came to Oakland, they seen Mexicans in Fruitvale, and they're like, oh, okay, so this must be where we live. <laughs> so that's, that's how the community started growing. So, you know, the Chicano movement, let's, let's go a little bit back. It started forming with, with some of the original nonprofits around here. Let's be fair, the Unity Council, the Spanish-Speaking Citizens Foundation, and a few other organizations had already started that process of, of Chicano rights. Right, Central Legal, Clinica de la Raza. Those are later. Okay, those gotcha. Came, I'm talking about the right. first ones. Okay. The first ones was the Spanish speaking and the Unity Council. Those okay. were the first Got original it. ones. Mm -hmm. But they weren't radical groups. They were more like community groups. The radical element of it happened, and I'm getting the newspaper ready right here, was the murder of a young man. He was, uh, I believe he was, uh, he was 23 years old and his name was Charles Dominic De Vaca. But in the neighborhood, in the, in the streets, he was known as Pinky De Vaca. That was his nickname on the streets. And in February 6th of 1968, he was supposedly breaking into a car on 35th Ave. He ran from the cop and the cop shot him in the back, right through the heart. Uh, the officer's name was Walter Gibbons and the family of Charles Ibaka, who, who I know, I actually know his family, they were devastated. I mean, completely devastated. They started forming 
a coalition of Chicanos in Oakland to combat police brutality. And the first organization that they created was called Latinos United for Justice, which is where the name Oakland Latinos United comes from. That's why I named my project that was after them. Yeah, keeping that legacy alive. Yeah, because that was where the Chicano movement, quote unquote, at least the radical element started in Oakland. So from th that murder, you had Latinos United for Justice. Actually right here, I have a newspaper report that they actually took over City Hall Latinos United for Justice and demanded that the, the officer Gibbons be brought up on charges. Yeah. And so this was like a sit-down occupation exactly. type situation? Exactly. And um, from that you started having other organizations who were seeing what was going on in LA and they invited the Brown Berets to come to Oakland. So the Brown Berets from LA formed a chapter in Oakland with the help of students at Merritt College, which is where the Black Panthers started. So you have the Brown Berets in Oakland, Latinos United for Justice in Oakland. And then the war movement was going on at the time. In 1970, Chicanos in Los Angeles, including Corky Gonzalez, who was from New Mexico, uh, Reyes Quijerina, who was another revolutionary from, New, from not New Mexico, Corky Gonzalez, I'm sorry, was from Colorado. Reyes Quijerina was from New Mexico. Those guys organized the Chicano the Chicano moratorium, which was basically Chicano saying, we don't want to get drafted to the Vietnam War and die because a lot of Chicanos were dying in big numbers in the Vietnam War. A lot of Latinos in general, Puerto Ricans, Chicanos. And um, before the Chicano moratorium, let's talk about that. There was um, an organization called Frente Liberación del Pueblo, which was started actually by this guy right here, Manuel Ruben Delgado. And he was one of the... the and you're holding up his book right now, yeah, which is called the, the Last Chicano. He was one of the leaders of the, um, of the Third World Liberation Strike. He was part of the Mexican-American Confederation, which was one of the groups that was part of the Third, Third World Liberation at Berkeley. So he started working in Jingletown, in the Fruitvale area. And he had an organization called Frente, Liberación del Pueblo. And with Frente, he organized... Uh, Manuel Ruben Delgado, they organized a Chicano student walkout. It was actually in 69. This is the students marching down Fruitvale Ave. So what happened was a student walkout of all Chicano students of every single school in Oakland, every single high school. So Fremont was the main one with Chicanos, but Fremont was one, Oakland, Oakland Tech, Oakland High, Castlemont. So all the Chicanos that day walked out of school and they marched to a place called the, the Fairfax Theater which used to be up there on Fairfax and Foothill. And from there, they marched to the Oakland Induction Center and closed it, shut it down. And that's uh, down next to City Hall. Yes, exactly. And what happened was at the um, Fairfax Theater, they watched a movie about the Vietnam War. They actually got to see a, a live reel of what was going on with gruesome pictures. So the students got to see the reality. And when they went to the uh, to the induction center, they were pumped, like, you know, we don't want to fight this damn war. And, that was the beginning of Chicanos in Oakland organizing against the, 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 the Vietnam War. So, you know, let's go into the, what happened after the Chicano movement okay. to now. And then many things happened, but I guess we'll wrap it up in a quick summary. So, the Chicano movement began to lose its strength because Let's face it, a lot of people, the COINTELPRO did, did a number on it for sure, but also they flooded the neighborhoods with, with drugs. 
you know, heroin started coming in in large numbers to the Fruit Bell area. We got to remember big drug dealers like, like the Ward Brothers and Felix Mitchell came to play at the time. The pimp culture became very big, but also the cholo culture became very big. And the cholos were basically the modern version of the pachucos. Actually, before that, they were called hondos in the 50s and 60s. I don't know why they were called that, but after that, they became cholos. And cholo is actually a word that means indigenous as well. It's a, it's a word that originates from indigenous people in Peru. But the cholos became the thing. And this is starting to get into the time when you were a kid growing exactly. up here. And I grew yeah. up around. So you it. saw this. So the, the cholo culture became big. The lowrider culture became big. San Antonio Park was actually the place where all the lowriders would meet. They would surround the whole park in lowriders, and then they would cruise down East 14. This was a little bit before my time, but I do remember little elements of it still being around. Um, with that came the gangs. So different Chicano gangs started claiming different streets. You know, you started having gangs like Jingletown, 36 locals, 38 locals, Fruitvale Gangsters, East 15th, or they call it Quince. And you had all these different gangs. And, and um, that's where the gang wars started. And that's where the documentary Children of Violence was made in 1982. And that was a family called the Parkin family, which was a family from Texas originally. And um, they were from up there from 65th Ave, and their gang was called the 60s or Barrio 60s. So all these gangs started for, fighting. For anyone who wants to see that, it's available on YouTube. Uh, it's a just really incredible documentary called Children of Violence. I think it came out in the early 80s. I think PBS aired yeah, it. But um, it's a very deep and empathetic look at this family and their struggle as these young guys kind of get caught up in the gang life and how it affects their mothers and aunts and abuelas and things like that. And uh, I would I definitely recommend watching that. So, you know, um, what happened was that it, a lot of the prison politics started coming into the streets. And there was this big division in prison between two gangs called the Nuestra Familia and the Mexican Mafia. So basically, if you were from L.A. or Southern California, you were with the Mexican Mafia, or they call them Sureños. Or if you were from Northern California, you were with the Nuestra Familia, which were called Norteños, which means Northern Northerners. So those gangs, the original gangs in Oakland became Norteño gangs. So now they were aligned to the prison politics. So what happened was around late 80s, 89, 90, a new gang formed that was against them called the Border Brothers. And they were... There was beginning to become a migration of people from Fruitvale to the Deep East. So the Mexican community started slowly growing in the Deep East, which was considered the black community at that time. But this gang called the Border Brothers formed up there, and that group was anti-Norteño. So it, it, this became even more violent. And this was really when Oakland was like even more than now because the, the murder rate is still really yeah. bad, but it was really considered a war zone. Yeah, this is like yeah. during the crack days. Because and... you have the crack era. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. The crack came <laughs> in Oakland in the 80s. And the crack era, you know, the black gangs were fighting over control of drug turf, but the Mexican gangs were fighting over the same control of drug turf and territory. Yeah. And it just became this, you know, just this genocide. That's what I call it. And, and, and the worst of it was, I would say, between 89 to about 94. And then it became big again between like 2003 and about 2010, that's when they made that documentary Gang Wars on, mm -hmm. on Discovery Channel that I showed you. And that's uh, that's a much more sensationalistic yeah. <laughs> kind of cable news style documentary yeah. about uh, fighting between the Border Brothers, the Norteños and the Sereños. Yeah, and but I, was... want, I want to back up for a second because 
I'm curious about how, as a young Latino man growing up in Oakland during that era, how it affected you and your own family, um, you know, with so much violence on the streets back then. It affected me a lot because I had two older brothers and they were gangbanging. They were uh, part of, one of my brothers was from 36 Locals, which was one of the gangs in, in, in the Fruitvale area. They were always fighting with the Border Brothers and with other gangs. They were always doing drugs, selling drugs. So Coke, PC, PCP was big back then. All those drugs were always around me. I never got into that stuff because I just didn't want to go down that path, that, down that rabbit hole. And um, yeah, it affected me a lot. Um, my brother actually committed a very serious crime in front of me when I was a kid. I don't want to say what that crime was, but it really, really messed me up for a lot of years. Um, my brother, he's alive, but he's living on borrowed time because I don't know how he survived that, but he survived it. But um, my other brother left Oakland fairly early to get away from all that. And yeah, I've had many friends who either died or, or, or are now drug addicts on the streets, homeless because they got caught up in that lifestyle, man. Or some are doing life in jail. You, um, you're not like a history professor. I talk to people sometimes who are like authors, you know, working at Cal or whatever, but you're like a self-taught yeah. historian. You just got obsessed with this and are so focused on it and are so knowledgeable about it. And you've been into this for like decades now. Do you feel like that curiosity about sort of like self-education is one of the things that kind of like protected you when you were growing up or how did that all fit together? I, you know what, this is a term that I heard on a, on a YouTube channel that I, I it best describe me. Uh, you ever heard of Richie Rich, the rapper from Oakland? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. He was a part of the East Bay Dragons, I believe, I the motorcycle club. Probably, and he was he was part of a rap, one of the original rap groups called 415. Yeah, and he was a big influence on Tupac. So he said a thing on Vlad TV, he said, I was a cool square. <laughs> and I, I think that that's what I was. I was a cool square, I was a square kid. But because I had a brother, brothers who were gangbanging, who were known in the streets, as soon as they heard, you're so-and-so's brother, it's like, oh, okay, leave him alone. So that helped me out a lot. And I felt that I didn't have to get forced to become a Norteño or a Border Brother or any of that. I, I kind of just, I knew it was around me. I knew the players. I knew the gang members, the drug dealers. I knew them. You know, I, could, I can see their faces now. But I, I decided to stay away from that. I was always very knowledgeable about history. I was always that kid that everybody thought was kind of weird. You know what I mean? I was kind of like a Tupac in a way, like this guy, he's kind of hood, but he's kind of smart. I was kind of like that. I was kind of like that. Because, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Vato Loco, a Chicano from the barrio, from the hood, from East Oakland. That's where I'm from. It's town business every day. But, but. I'm a very smart dude and I know a lot of things. That doesn't mean because I came from the hood that my mind is straight stuck on the hood. I, I had to expand my mind and I think my mind has always been expanded since I was a kid. Did your brothers ever try to like pressure you to, to get into that lifestyle or do you think that because they had seen the, the detrimental effects of it that maybe they were protective and, and thought it would be better for you to not get involved and to stay away from all that violence and drug dealing? Yeah, um, they, they, they never pushed me into it. As a matter of fact, I think they were happy that I didn't get into it. I mean, I got in trouble. There was a small time where I hung around a few dummies and I was like rebelling, you know what yeah, I mean? And yeah. I got in trouble here and there. But luckily, that was just a small phase of my life. And I, I, I learned real quickly that I don't like this. This is not what I want to do. So I, I, yeah. I gravitated towards other things. Yeah. I gravitated towards social justice. I gravitated towards history. I gravitated towards music. I gravitated towards a lot of other things. Do you want to give your band a shout out real quick? So yeah. maybe after the pandemic's over, people can come see you play? Yeah, I'm part of two bands. Uh, one's called Calafia Armada. The other band's called Los Vallenatos. And what we play is music from Colombia, Cumbia, Vallenato. 
uh, we play more of the traditional sense of the music. And uh, if you guys ever want to check us out, check us out on Facebook and on Instagram. I'll wrap up in a minute here, but I just have a couple more last last minute questions. I was asking around to people, friends, like, I'm going to talk to this guy who's like an expert on Oakland, you know, Latino history. What are you curious about? And uh, one of my friends who is Chicano, he was like, what do you think makes Oakland's Latino or, you know, Chicano community unique compared to other Latino communities throughout California or throughout the United States? That's a good question. I, I would say the diversity of Oakland, I would say that if you look at some other California cities, especially LA, there's a big division between black and brown. I think in Oakland, we've we've kind of built a bridge on that division. And I because we grew up around a lot of African-Americans, I mean, Oakland's quote unquote a black town, that we always we always had this common like uh, friendship with black, with African-Americans. And we got a lot of cultural um, borrowing from African-American community and they got a lot of stuff from us as well. I mean, ask an African-American what a torta or a burrito is. He's going to tell you, yeah, I know what that is. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But um, there's, there's, there's just kind of like uniqueness that we, we have friends that are Asian. We have friends that are black. We have friends that are Samoans. We have friends that are white. We kind of grew up with a diversity here in Oakland. It's a little bit different. And we have this history of social justice. There's kind of like this cautiousness in Oakland that a lot of cities don't have. I always say that Chicanos in Oakland, we have a Chicano style, but it's a uniquely Oakland Chicano style. We even have our own way of talking. You know what I mean? And that's true. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's dying out because of the gentrification. Mm. But um, but yeah, like when I was growing up, if I could tell if a Chicano was from Oakland just by the way he talked. I hear what you're saying in terms of like there's a certain kind of culture that's dying out, but I actually was just looking up the census figures the other day because I was curious. And, you know, I'm going through 1950, 1960, 1970, the Latino, Hispanic population of Oakland, it was like 4%, 5%, 6% for a long time. And then starting around 2000, it jumps up to like 20%. And now it's actually still growing. Oakland is uh, 27% Latino now, according to these estimates. So, I mean, it does seem like the, even though I know there's a lot of gentrification displacement happening, that we're still seeing the Latino population of Oakland growing. What happened was the old Mexican community of Oakland began leaving Oakland either for gentrification or because of violence. So the old Chicanos from Oakland, a lot of them left. So what you're getting now is a lot of new immigrants coming into Oakland from Mexico and from El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala. I'm I'm also starting to see South Americans now meeting people from Colombia, from Chile, from Peru. So you're getting this new community coming into Oakland is different from the old community. And the other day when we were chatting on the phone, you, you were talking about uh, indigenous people yes. too from Mexico. Can you talk a little bit about there's that? A, there's been, a, in the last probably 15, 20 years, there's been a big migration of people from Guatemala, from the Mayan community, and most of them speak a dialect called MAM, M-A-M. Yeah, they're, they're start, you're starting to see like Guatemalan restaurants pop up and the, the, the Mexican bakeries are now selling Guatemalan bread. So yeah, it's, it's a it's a... Big community. It's going to be a big community in the future. Yeah. And uh, last question, what's next for Oakland Latinos Unidos? You've got all these files here. You've got all these books. You've been doing this research for years and years. I know you're running the Instagram page. You've got the Facebook group. And like, the YouTube page. And the YouTube page. What else are you interested in researching? How else are you trying to spread this history? Well, eventually, I, I want to write a book about this. But I feel because I'm not highly educated, I only made it as far as the community college. I don't know if people are gonna take me serious, but maybe that just could be my own confidence messing with me. 
You know what I mean? I haven't tried, but I would like to really make this a book. Yeah. And make it a, a historical a historical book about Oakland's Chicano history. Whether it was 5% in the past or whether it's 20% in the past, I was told something a long time ago. I was told if there was more than two Latinos, then there was a Latino community. And that's basically how it goes. So we, we've been here since day one, whether we were big or small, we were here and we were building roots. And I, want, I, think, I feel it's important for people to know that story because not I've heard so many ignorant things that Mexicans were these immigrants, that we have no history here, that we're living off what black people did in the, in the civil rights movement, that we're taking jobs away from, from whites and blacks, that we're doing this and that. So we have all this negativity and there's this, this there's really this, this outlook that we don't have roots here, that we're just this immigrant group that came here, that we're ignorant, that we don't speak the language, that we don't assimilate. But all this research proves the contrary. Well, I'm so glad that you me. are doing this because, uh, like you said, you know, there's not a lot of people who, who are familiar with this history, who are collecting it and gathering it, and it's incredibly valuable, and I'm so grateful to you for, for yeah, sharing it all sure. with us today. Thanks again for talking to me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for listening to East Bay Yesterday. I've been your host, Liam O'Donoghue. As always, you can find images related to this episode at my site, eastbayyesterday.com. And while you're there, click the donate link to help keep the show alive. Shout out to all my Patreon supporters. Love you guys. Uh, while you're there, you can also subscribe to my newsletter if you want to stay up to date on local history news and uh, follow me on social media if you want to see me popping up in your social media feeds with various East Bay history-oriented uh, news updates and trivia. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please tell someone else to check it out. I'm doing this whole thing more or less by myself, so it really, really helps when people spread the word about East Bay yesterday. I appreciate it so, so much. All the music for this episode was curated by Jose Rivera of Oakland Latinos Unidos. He picked uh, Jorge Negrete because Jorge Negrete actually performed at Sweets Ballroom in Oakland back in the 40s. And uh, another song we played was by Azteca. Uh, two of those members of that band, the Escobedo Brothers, grew up in Oakland. Uh, lastly, you just heard a bit of a song from Jose's band, Calafia Armada. And I'm going to play the show out with one more of his tunes, just because I really like it. If you want to hear more, I'll throw up a link to Jose's bands at my site. See you all again soon. Here's Calafia Armada with Cochambrosa. Así.